Sit back, relax, and put your feet up, everyone, where we look back at a few episodes of our podcast from this year. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Village Halls podcast, sponsored by Allied Westminster, the UK's largest specialist provider of village hall insurance and the home of Village Guard. Now, a few weeks ago, we recorded our 48th episode, bringing our second year and second series to a close. In 2022, we've covered all kinds of topics from fitness instruction to tips on warm rooms. And so with the Christmas and New Year breaks about to begin, I thought we'd look back at a few of those episodes while you took into a box of chocolates or you take the dog for a walk. Back at the very beginning of the year, I was joined by Finbar Murphy, the chair of Cookham Dean Village Hall in Berkshire which had lost its main source of income just a couple of years earlier. The hall responded in an innovative way with something called the meter market, which has not only kept the hall going, but is helping local residents and businesses. So in about June of 2020, we um, we started a market on a Friday mornings in the hall, initially just with three with three uh, stalls. And we were pleasantly surprised by the number of people that uh, that came along to support it. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. some of that was because it was the middle of lockdown and there wasn't as much to do as, as they probably yeah. normally had. But I think there was, from the from the off, there was quite a, a groundswell of people wanting to support local producers and uh, and doing things locally. So so we've just really grown from that. Um, we managed to to trade all the way through both lockdowns. And um, as as the restrictions were, were eventually lifted, we could increase the capacity and so forth. So, you know, we've gone from having three stalls, which was essentially bread, vegetables and cheese, to about 18 at this week's market. Actually, I just counted it before. Wow. And um, and they're a mix, mostly, mostly food, but also some, and it can be a bit seasonal, sort of local craft and, and, and art producers uh, like to come along. Yeah. Community businesses like the meter market are playing an increasingly important role in rural villages. And in February, Hannah Barrett from the wonderful Plunkett Foundation came on the show to talk about the kind of support available to village halls that might want to get a community business up and running themselves. So obviously a lot of communities are losing their services, um, are losing their centre points. Um, And without those centre points, those natural meeting spaces, you get isolation and loneliness. You get a lack of jobs and opportunities and education because there's no local shop. There's no local pub for the kind of young teenagers to go and get their first job in. Um, There's no place for people who are perhaps living by themselves to go out and have a coffee and bump into their neighbours. So they're really important centres for communities. And often people talk to us and say, you know, you've put the heart back into where we live. I haven't seen Betty for 10 years and I bumped into her the other day and I used to know her at school. And it's those fantastic stories about people meeting each other and seeing each other that make them so valuable, as well as the fact, you know, you can pop down the road and get your extra milk, your toilet roll, those essentials that are stopping a car journey, reducing emissions, reducing the impact of climate change. So, they're really important having these local services for people. Um, And are they um, successful? Absolutely, because the people that run them make them successful because they are community 
developed. They're the ideas of the community and they run them for the community. And the long-term success rate for community businesses are 94%. So when they're up and running, they fly. Now, one essential service village, church and community halls up and down the country will often provide is keeping their local community healthy through all kinds of exercise classes. Nesta Shepherd, who is in her 70s, runs Pilates and fitness classes online and at two different halls in North Hertfordshire. Nesta's passion and enthusiasm for exercise encourages all kinds of people to stay fit and healthy. I think they like coming to a, a community class rather than go to a gym-based class, which can be a bit impersonal. Yeah. I know all my clients' names. I know, probably know their children, their grandchildren. Yeah. Um, I know all their problems. <laughs> I don't mean personal problems. I mean <laughs> physical yeah. problems. Right. Which helps me to help them. And they have a real community feel. They all chat when they come in. Although, having said that, you know, they do vary because I've got two classes in the, the second hall I mentioned, which is the more modern one, mm-hmm. on the same day. One's in the afternoon, one's in the evening. Exactly the same class. The afternoon class, they're so quiet, they're so shy. They wouldn't say boo to a goose. I ask them questions and I get them. <laughs> but the evening class, completely different. They come in, they chat. They walk around and ask questions and they're the rowdy bunch, yeah. And they joke and take the what's it out of me. <laughs> Artists and performers are another major village hall attraction. For another podcast episode, I was joined by Holly Lombardo and Steffi Jessup from the National Rural Touring Forum, a fantastic organization that works with halls in rural communities to put on shows and events. Steffi told me how performers and audiences find that Village Halls offer something unique compared to more traditional venues. Yeah, it's much more personal and intimate. There's no hiding. Um, And one of the (laughs) things that we say a lot is that if you're going to a theatre or a performance venue, you're going to visit the artist. You're going to their space where they feel very much in control and they know all the ins and outs of that building and you only tend to see one room and you go and you sit in the dark and you might have a drink at the interval but chances are once the curtain closes you leave and go home for the night Mm. whereas with a village hall we're asking the artists to visit the community and visit the audience in their space and our community promoters so might be the um, village hall committee They'll often cook a hot meal for the performer before their show and sit down all together and chat and get to know one another. Um, The performers will often stay behind after the show and have a drink in the bar with the audience. And it's one of the things that people that are on the circuit performing absolutely love about rural touring because when do you normally get a chance to truly go and speak to your audience? And when Normally, as an audience member, do you get a chance to really find out how did this performer end up becoming a world-class violinist or how did they get into acting? Um, And it really, it all comes together. It's very equal. There's no, this is my space or your space. It's, we just all want to find out more about each other. And it's also one of the places where in that village hall audience, there are people there that didn't that came along and had no idea what it was they were coming to. They came along to support the village hall 
or to see their neighbours or because our promoter told them to. And because of that, you get an audience that might not consider themselves to be theatre people really truly engaging with the work and talking to the performers afterwards. It's quite special in that way. Talking of unique and different, this year I discovered the strange and mysterious world of geocaching. Until I spoke to Jackie O'Halloran for our podcast, I had no idea there were hidden objects all over the world with huge numbers of enthusiasts trying to track them down. Jackie explained how there were more than 1,000 geocaches waiting to be found in and around village halls in Britain. Since I've been doing it, I've found 8,700 geocaches and I've placed 192 for others to, to find. I don't know how you can do that many days out. <laughs> it's been over quite a, a quite a period of time, but I have had yeah. some times when I've, we've done big days. You know, I've gone away with friends, which is my preferred way of doing it, although I do geocache on my own. I like it as a social event, so I'll go out with a group of friends or one or two friends and we'll go out geocaching together. And we've had some weekends away and things where we've gone out just purely to find geocaches. Uh, of, of those finds that I found, um, 650 village halls I've um, I visited and found. So of our 1,300, I've found 650. So I've still got a few more to find yet. Right. I'm not the top, though. Well, you're are, not the top. No, I'm not the top. There's a few above me. that The, <laughs> uh, the guy that's found the most village hall geocaches at the moment, he's, he's found 902 of them. Okay. So, and he's he's very competitive, doesn't want anybody else to get anywhere near him. So if anyone starts getting near him, he'll go out and do a big day of, of village hall caches to make sure he keeps at the top of those stats. Now this year, I also got to go out and about myself when I visited Chorleywood or Memorial Hall. Debbie Rosario and Yvonne Merritt, along with other parish council staff and volunteers, invited me along to their event to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. I spoke to one local resident there who could remember Queen Elizabeth coming to the throne. How old are you, Dorothy? Could you 84. 84. So you'll remember... Can you remember the... Uh, Beginning of the war. The, yeah, and the, and the coronation. The coronation, yes. Yeah. Uh, my auntie had one of the first televisions. Ah, OK. And we didn't have a television, but we went to her house and all the children sat in on the floor and the grown-ups at the back, and it was a little nine-inch television. Yes, I saw all the coronation. And 70 years later... I'm seeing it again. Here we are, well, 69 years since the coronation, of course. Yes. And uh, here we are. And uh, Queen Elizabeth's done very well, of course. Oh, she's a wonderful queen. Little did we realise at that time, of course, that Queen Elizabeth's reign would soon come to an end. Sadly, celebrations turned to mourning as we remembered her life and her achievements. Marking the passing of a loved one is something else that community halls can often help with and in October I spoke to Richard Coates from Croft on Tees who told me about an event they had organised there to remember a much-loved member of their community, Johnny Preston, who passed away far too early in life. At the start of this year, so a couple of months after he passed, we, we met as a group in the village mm-hmm. on what would have been his birthday. And um, the, the conversation came round to 
what would be a fitting tribute to celebrate Johnny's life and yeah. at the same time raise some money for the brain tumor charity as well. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was Jörg, our village resident German, who, who made the suggestion to do something close to home yeah. uh, within the village and utilize the, uh, we've got a circular river walk around the village. So that, that's where the conversation started. But we, we wanted something a bit bigger, a bit different to just a fun run. Hence, the 24-hour endurance element was conceived. And that became known as the Jog for Johnny, yeah? And that, but yeah, that's what it, that's what it was coined as. Yeah. From all the events and, and the donations we've had, we, we raised just over £7,600, which wow. far exceeded any estimations we, ha- we had when we first instigated the idea. Yeah. Certainly a fitting tribute from a wonderful and caring community. Now, I'm not one for choosing a favourite, but there was certainly one episode in 2022 that made me chuckle the most. Britain, as we know, is a country that's well known for its unusual events and activities, anything from welly wanging to tossing the caber. However, the annual beer race of Nos Mayo and Newton Ferrers was not something I'd come across until Tracy Watson sent us a bizarre photo for our photo competition. I just had to find out more. And so Tracy came on the show and described how every year they all come together to dress up and race in small boats while also drinking a little bit too much. There are an element um, who do take it very seriously. I was in a team who did take it very seriously. Yeah. Um, and to, to the point where the, the ladies' team that I was part of were all pretty good rowers and we did actually win the whole event ahead of the men at one point. And then that's when the men started complaining uh, bitterly that the women only had to drink halves in comparison to their pints. Yeah. And it's that, that argument has been going on ever since. There are some some t- teams, probably over half the teams now, who just want to win the fancy dress competition side of it because mm-hmm. and they're not too worried about the rowing as long as they complete the course. But there are still some who properly go for it. Brilliant. Where do you stand on the paint or the half paint thing? Um, uh, well, are you going st- to sit on the fence? <laughs> yeah, I think I might. I think I might do that. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't listened to the full episode already, I'd encourage you to scroll down to season two, episode eight on our website and listen to the bedlam that is the beer race. It's a lot of fun. Now, I'd like to say thank you to all of our guests who joined me for season two of the Village Halls podcast this year, including Mark Harris from Bower Hill Village Hall, Martin Fagan from the Community Heartbeat Trust, who talked to me about life-saving defibrillators, and Alexandra Holmes from ASCO, an organisation that helps halls to raise funds through clothing banks. Big thanks also to Doug Allen from Topcliffe and Aisenby Village Hall, Village Hall's advisor Janet Clark from YMCA Lincolnshire, and risk management expert Dave Reynolds from Ristop, who covered Village Hall security on our show this year. Dr. Darren Handley did a fantastic job in July explaining all about setting up electrical vehicle infrastructure in rural communities. And also my thanks to Andrew Ayres from Irby and Bradoff Village Hall, Nick Cole from Shustoke, who we'll be hearing more from in the new year, and Lizzie Kingston from Framlingham Unitary Meeting House. All wonderful guests who gave up their time to inform, 
and to entertain us throughout the year. Thanks, as always, to our headline sponsor and specialist insurance provider, Allied Westminster, for making our podcast possible and whose services you can discover more about at villageguard.com and to online booking system provider, Hallmaster, who also sponsor our podcast and can be found at hallmaster.co.uk. And so that's all for season two and 2022 for the Village Halls podcast. My final and most heartfelt thank you of the year goes, of course, to you, our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in and being part of our listening community and have a fantastic Christmas, everyone. Let's hope it all goes well and a very happy new year to you all. I'll be back again soon with a brand new series in the new year. If you get time over Christmas, why not visit the villagehallspodcast.com and listen to some of our previous episodes. But for now, I'll leave you with a brief section of music, highly inappropriate music, in fact, for this time of year, which was performed by the Chorleywood Orchestra at their event in June. In the meantime, and until the next time, goodbye for now. Oh, oh, oh.